Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Comeback Stories. Blessed to have you all here. We got an amazing guest with us here today. She didn't have to travel too far. One of Las Vegas' finest. Sixth woman of the year in the WNBA. Olympic gold medalist. WNBA all-rookie team. Turkish Cup winner. 2017 Naismith Wooden and AP Player of the Year in the NCAA. We've got Kelsey Plum with us. Kelsey, what's going on? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's awesome to have you here. We like to dive right in. We like to go all the way back to the childhood. So could you tell us what it was like growing up for you? Growing up was competitive. Mm. My dad is different. My dad is uh, everything was a competition. Like even as a baby sitting in the high chair, he would put food and you would grab it and he would pull it away. <laughs> and you'd like, he would be like, plumber, you got to take it. You got to take it if you want it. And, you know, I laugh now because it's such a symbol for life. But, um, you know, as a kid, we'd go to restaurants and my dad would pay the bill, get in the car and drive off. And if you didn't catch the car, like you were going to get left. You had to walk home. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was just, uh, I mean, it was always a great time having a ton of fun, but everything was a competition. Did that ever add some, like, pressure onto you? Did you ever feel like it was a lot to live up to? Do you feel like it maybe, like, robbed you of, like, a little bit of a kid experience? Like, what was that like? Yeah, I think there are definitely times where you don't realize it's not normal until you go spend the night at someone else's house, and you're like, mm -hmm. wow, you don't have to box out to eat dinner, or, like, I don't have to, <laughs> you know, make sure you're not going to steal my food, or um, even after games, uh, just conversations that I'd have with my parents and then hearing maybe conversations that, my friends were having um but I wouldn't change anything I wouldn't change anything I think um you know it, I had an amazing childhood like I have there's four of us I'm the third of four and um you know all of us played college division one on full scholarship you know both my parents played in college my sister and I both played professionally so I mean the competitiveness I guess you could say it worked mm, no doubt worked for your dad if he didn't have to pay for anybody's college yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they had to pay college for themselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, exactly. man. So would you say that your dad was your first real teacher? We like to go back and say, who was somebody that really started to form our character or form the way that we faced adversity early on in life? Like, would you say that was your dad? I actually think that would probably be my two older sisters. Um, you know, I was so fortunate to have their age gap. My oldest sister is four years older than me, and then my second sister is two years older than me. And... Um, you know, growing up, I got to watch them manage life and see the mistakes that they made. And they were very um, adamant about, Kelsey, you're, you should do this. You shouldn't do this. Um, watch. Look what I did. Learn from it. And um, I was so appreciative because even when I got to college, I felt like I had already had a roadmap of what to do, what not to do, you know. And so um, I just I'm super blessed. I feel like they took a lot of hits on the chin for me. And so I didn't have to. It's like, I know a lot of people in this day and age, they want to say like they're self-made and like they got it on their own out the mud. And it's like, I feel like that's impossible, but it really helps when you have somebody that's already been there and, and can pave the road for you. And so with that, I want to say, what, is there a moment of adversity like very early on in your life, like in your childhood, that was a struggle for you or something that made you feel kind of uneasy with life? Like for me, it was like, people said I wasn't black enough. And so that used to just like, I'd be like, well, what? Like, what do you want me to do? And I just went into, like, people-pleasing mode to the thousandth power. And it was just, like, that experience and having that in my face and hearing that every single day was rough for me, and it changed the way that I approached life. Would you say that anything happened to you when you were younger around that age? Yeah, I think um, when I 
so I was young. I think I was probably 10 or 11. And I was trying out for a basketball team that was like under 14 or 15, like significant age gap. And I was good enough to be on the team, but I remember the coaches brought me in to like a meeting uh, for the club and they wanted to talk to me because they're like, hey, this is a big age gap. We want to just make sure mentally and emotionally like you're going to be able to be a good teammate and handle. Because, you know, there's when you grow up, like when you're 10, you're completely different than when you're 14. You know what I mean? And so I remember they bringing me in, and um, one of the coaches was like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what's your aspiration? And I was like, I'm going to go play for Pat Summit, and then I'm going to play in the league. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And I remember she started laughing. Like, the coach started laughing at me. And I was like, I literally was like, what's so funny? And she's like, do you know how many kids want to do that? And I'm like, sure, millions. Okay. And she was just like, yeah, basically, like, look at you. You know, like at the time I was probably like 5'4", and I mean, I'm white and not like this freak athlete. And I was just so pissed off. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you're laughing at me. And I remember I went home and told my parents, and they were just like, prove it wrong. And I didn't play for Pat Summit, but I did make it to the league. And uh, I actually haven't seen her since. I've always wanted to go back and, like, find her and just be like, hey, how did that, how did that feel to tell a kid that they weren't going to do what they wanted to do? Um, that definitely was like a big moment in my life because that right there, I made the decision. I was like, oh, no, nah, she's wrong. She's mm-hmm. wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, judging off the introduction alone, you definitely proved her wrong. I mean, I didn't even say McDonald's All-American, uh, all-time leading scorer in the NCAA. Like, what? Take us through, like, your early basketball journey, going through high school into college, and you just being like, I mean, just if the stats say it, the best women, college women's basketball player ever, like, Take us through what that was like, like the pros and the cons of just the load that it was. So I think for me, um, if you were to ask me going into college what it was going to be like, I I had no idea it was going to be like that. Um, I remember coming into college, and as a freshman, I led the country in minutes played. As a freshman, they named me a captain. Like the first. Right when you showed up? Right when I showed up. And it was like social suicide. Like, just, I mean, imagine a rookie being named a captain on your team. Like, you would. Oh, yeah, he's getting smoked. Yeah. He's getting smoked. <laughs> Every single play, you're going at his head. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I just remember thinking, like, God, why? Why? Like, I didn't ask for this. This mm-hmm. wasn't. And there, the coach's idea was, you're strong enough to handle it, and we're going to change the culture, and it's going to be with you. And um, it was really hard. It was really hard. Um, I think for me. Uh, my college career, it's built a lot of character, but don't get me wrong, like, there were moments I, I didn't think, like, I was depressed, suicidal, heavy antidepressants, antidepressants, sleeping medications, like, to get through, and it ultimately became, like, my decline, and then, obviously, I'm I'm back, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was brutal to put that much pressure on a kid, and then to perform, and then, of course, you know, People see, like, the scoring, and that's, like, the new expectation, you know? And so I just remember, like, I was on campus. I had a camera crew following me around, coming into class with me. And, you know, parents would bring their kids from all over to watch me play, and and, uh, they would get so sad. They're like, man, she only scored 20 today. Like, dang it, we missed it. That's wild. We missed it. And I'm I'm thinking in my mind, like, dang, I played good. Like, I, I got everybody the ball. We won. 20? Nope. Not, nah, 
They're not here like, to see you be a team player. No, uh-uh. no, they're trying to see me. They're trying to see me get it up, you know. And I just remember there was a countdown in the Seattle Times of how many points I needed to have to continue to break the record. And like, I'm not paying attention to these things, but you got everybody else in the world paying attention to it. And I'd have professors say, "Hey, 150 more, you got it." And I'm like, "Does anyone see me? You know what I mean? Like, does anyone care?" But Ultimately, the whole experience has definitely forged who I am and what I've been through and what I know I continue to go through because, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be here if I didn't go through that. It's a fascinating story. I feel like you guys have parallels in your journeys, even going back to childhood where you talked about you were, had a unibrow, right? <laughs> Dyslexic, um, chubby and awkward and, and Darren's mentioned the same thing and then even leading up to uh, draft day where I don't think I know Darren had talked about this where he was not in a great place when on the biggest day of his life and I think you had a similar story draft day probably was one of my all-time lows um, I remember being drafted uh, side note anyone's watching and if you're drafted don't bring your boyfriend or girlfriend or at least don't put them in the pictures <laughs> Because <laughs> nah, you're probably not going to. No, I don't mean to go off track, but have you ever seen Russell Wilson's draft day with his wife? <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Don't do it. Um, I've seen when C.D. Lamb's girlfriend looked at his phone and he snatched the phone from her. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of moments, plenty of memories, but carry on. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. But anyways, uh, my family was there. You know, all my friends were there. And I remember I got drafted. And, um, you know, that's a moment that you work for your whole life. Exactly. And you, you – you are just waiting for it. And it happened. I just remember being so empty, just so empty and so numb. Um, we finished the night. We all get in the taxis. We're, it's in New York City. And I remember telling everyone, I'm like, hey, guys, I forgot my wallet or ID at the hotel. I'm going to go to the hotel. Don't worry about me. Go to the club. I'll meet everyone there. You know, we'll pop champagne. Cool. And I just remember going back to the hotel room and just going to bed by myself. Mm. Like I, I had my ID the whole time, but I just was so broken. And it was just that for the next like month, it was probably like the worst month of my life. What, what was missing in your life? I feel like you are chasing something for so long and I feel like the satisfaction I thought I was going to get for whatever, scoring those points, breaking those records, winning those awards, getting drafted number one was going to fix my emptiness or the lack of identity that I had for myself. You know, I literally had no idea who I was if basketball wasn't happening. And when it did all happen, it, it was like even more of a reassurance, <clears throat> excuse me, that I'm just, I feel like nothing. I feel so worthless. I feel so um, empty. And I did everything I was supposed to do. And I'm supposed to be happy right now. And I'm not. And it was just, it was just terrible. Mm. Yeah, it's like, it's like, that's it. Like, yeah. that's all it is. That's it. Like, I, I remember that vividly. Uh, within my first two years in the league, it's like, I, I've checked off. You look at the boxes that you have in the little, like a checklist almost for your life. And it's like, I checked off every box. And I'm like. I'm miserable pretty much. Like, it's not just like, eh, like, I'm almost there. Like, no, this sucks. Like, it's, it's like when you attach your identity to mm. your performance, 
it's like self-robbery almost because you're basically saying this is how I earn love or this is how I am worthy of love through how I perform, what my stat line looks like, how many yards and, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's no way for a human being to live, but that's what the world teaches us. So it's like, as we go on through our journey, it's about unlearning everything that we've been taught almost. Like, I'm, I'm like, everything I've been shown, like as a man, like what I'm supposed to do, I kind of like tossing the trash can and trying to build a new foundation. So it's like all those things, it'll, it'll never be enough. Ever. <laughs> so interesting how so many people have this story. All three of us sitting here where I didn't make it to the level you two yeah, Donnie did. Was D1. Donnie was D1. Donnie. Yeah. Talk, talk about it, Donnie. College baseball, but one, you know, 15 games into my senior year, I had a massive traumatic knee injury, a surgery that um, ended my career and my whole identity. I'm an achiever. If you've ever taken the Enneagram test, it'll break down your personality traits. It's really fascinating. But my main one is a three. I'm an achiever. And, and a lot of that comes from seeking validation. I got all my attention, all my approval through the performance of my sports. And when one day when that was taken away from me, I had nothing. And that literally almost killed me because it started a long run of an addiction to pain pills. And I did a lot of other drugs, but it, that is almost what took me out is that same exact thing. So I love hearing your story and Darren's story. And I know there's people listening to this that can relate to this, whether you're an athlete or your identity was wrapped in something else that uh, you, you better know who you are beyond the sport. And the other thing I would say, I, when I'm coaching athletes or clients, when we talk about goal setting, like when you set a goal, like the last step of setting a goal is you got to detach from the outcome mm. because you actually don't have control over the outcome of it. But if you're so wrapped up in the attached to the outcome of it and then you get it, and then what? So the key to goal setting is just to um, be able to release release attachments to the outcome and trust that it's going to unfold how it has to, but figuring out who you are beyond the sport. Like you said, all of your self-esteem was determined by the performance of how you were doing on the court. The journey is the destination. Yeah, yeah. It's powerful. What would you say it was your like lowest of, what was your low, what was your rock bottom? I got drafted to San Antonio, um, and we lived at a, this apartment, and it was attached to a parking structure, and it was probably like seven or eight floors high, and I lived on the seventh or eighth floor, and so when I drove on the parking structure, I would just drive up to the top and park, and I remember um, I would just sit out at night on top of the structure and just dangle my legs over and just cry. And then I would just call random people in my phone. And I remember one night I called um, Markel Foltz. Me and him were really close um, in college. And I thought it was the night. I thought it was it. And I just remember like thinking to myself, it's funny now. Well, it's not funny now, but I can laugh at it now. Like, I'm like, man, if I jump, and my mom obviously will know, she'll kill me again. Like, <laughs> and in my mind, I just kept thinking, like, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be something else. Like, I, I, I can't let this be it. This is not what takes me out. Like, I've, I was like, I worked too hard to get to this spot and let this parking structure be the, the reason that I go. And I, it, it took me. I still don't know necessarily how I kind of got back in 
I mean, I just would pray. I would just sit up there and I would just pray, like, and cry. And then I go to practice the next day. And and the and the worst part about it, I think, for me, is that I'm such a private person that I didn't tell anybody, like nobody, nobody knew I was going through this. Yep. People just thought I wasn't that good at basketball anymore. You know, was, oh, she's just the translation to college is this pro is just not working for. Her. Right. And I really, I just was. I was just hanging on by a thread. So that was probably Lois. People don't think that your performance is attached to like your what's going on, on the inside. Like mm. my career was a shitstorm in the beginning because it was a shitstorm going on inside of me mm-hmm. that I wasn't willing to sit with, reflect on, and try to find a solution to fix. And coincidence, like my football career got better when I did the work on the inside and football just kind of started to happen because I take this human body and put it in pads and a Raiders helmet and go out on the field. It's, I'm not just a cyborg out there just running around just playing the sport. Like that's maybe how some people view me, but I have to take the person onto the field. And if the person is not cared for, if the person is not loved first and foremost, if the performance is ahead of the person, then it's not, it's going to be a, com- it's a combustible formula, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like I, I see that too. And it's like people are like, oh man, you just they just ain't got it no more. It's like no, like it's there's something in me that needs to change before we get back to playing this game where we put a ball with air through a net. Like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I always we always talk about the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself, mm. and the most important words you'll ever hear are the ones you say to yourself. So I think a lot of this comes in your belief system, right? And that, that's even before your thoughts. They say your thoughts control your life, but I believe that it's actually your beliefs that create your thoughts. So until you shift your belief system, we're going to end up right back in that same place no matter what we acquire, no matter how many gold medals or championships that we get. Like, we have to get right on the inside. And in doing so, everything else will get right on the outside. What do you think? I know you've got, like, at least two comebacks, but for comeback part one, for this part with the mental health stuff, what was the story that you had to stop telling yourself so that you could create a new comeback story? I realized that I lived in the victim mentality. Mm. I realized that it was the blame game. It was like, well, coach doesn't mess with me, and this girl doesn't want to pass me the ball, and, and you know, my knee's partially torn, and, you know, I'm going, th- I'm going on, like, just this family stuff or like it was always something that was wrong and I just finally I think I got to the point where I realized no one's gonna help me this is like I gotta figure this out like I can't keep blaming stuff or I'm I'll be out the league you know I'll be done and I think that transition of thought and just really saying like I'm gonna take responsibility for what's going on in my life and get better and just be a dog. So that's kind of what. No doubt. In, in that, I hear there's a shift from it's not about what happens to me. It's about my response to what happens to me. Because there's, there's a lot of things that people can turn on you or, you know, things cannot go your way. Like a, a, a bad game can happen. Like all these things can happen to us. And it's like there's no way we can control everything. Try to hold the world and, like, just be stretched all over the place. Like that's literally impossible. So it's about my response to that. I don't have to let it dictate my emotions or my thoughts or how I treat people or how I talk to people. You know, it's like 
I have power in that sense. Whereas before, it's like in the blame game, it's like there is no power. Everything happens to me. It's not about how I, what I do and how I – and when I start taking ownership for what I do, it's like that's when the world starts to change. That's when my life starts to change. Mm. I got the chills just saying that because I talk about that all the time in my own sobriety and recovery. Everything changed when I stopped blaming. Mm. Stopped blaming the doctor who screwed me over mm-hmm. and my parents who were all over me and just took ownership, took personal responsibility to – participate in my own rescue like I no one's gonna come save me my my family was trying they were probably my mom especially was enabling me she's blinded by love and she thought she was helping but probably was digging my bottom a little deeper because she just she only knows how to love but was often getting in the way but I think that's it just ownership and 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 not taking things personally right that's Jared and I always talk about the four agreements yeah and that's what that is be playing the victim um is when we're taking things personally and that self-pity is uh um, buries a lot of people, whether they actually die or live an unfulfilled life. Like that's the story of victimization that uh, keeps us in a really, really small, self-centered place. Nah, for real. But I mean, it's like that self-centeredness is, in a way, it's kind of taught to us. I was just saying this um, on a Zoom yesterday. It was like we're taught to come to this world and take success or take wealth or you know create this platform for us. And it's like, you know, what are we doing for other people? And it's like, we have to learn how to do that. We have to, it takes reps to do that as it takes reps. When you pull up mid-range, it takes reps for running routes. It takes reps for hitting the baseball. It takes reps for all these things. And we're not necessarily taught to come into the world and be of service to people from the gate and then see what comes to us after that. And so that self-centered perspective keeps us in this world where it's like anything that happens around me, it's, it's about me. Like it has to do with me. Like, why are you doing this to me? Like, how did this you know, what did I do to deserve this? And it's like, it's not even that. It's just life. But if we approach it with the love that we give, not the something that I should be re- getting something in return, but we don't, we're not taught that. We got lucky, me and you, from a, the addiction standpoint. Extremely where, lucky. Where, where I think about this all the time. There's a lot of people that didn't go through an addiction, which I own. That was self-inflicted. Um, there's mental health. There's people that are just kind of walking, sleepwalking through life. But to be able to truly, like, own our life is it's everything it's just taking personal responsibility i think that's that's what sets us free where we're not giving our power away to other people places and things but yeah and in the addiction they teach us selfishness and self-centeredness is the core of our disease Mm. so what's what's the antidote service Mm. and service is like the greatest life hack ever and service when you're in self-pity just go help somebody then you're not going to be thinking about your own shit want to get back to your journey though um so you, you're i'm picturing you like sitting on top of the parking deck and i'm like okay like when people think of a comeback story like you bounce back from that a lot of people may think like everything is great like nothing bad is going to happen again like i've already overcome everything but no it's like you know there's another major event in your life like you tearing your achilles like that's another moment of adversity we're never we never know like what the number of times we're gonna have to bounce back but here's another one for you and it's like do you think that experience of you bouncing back from those suicidal thoughts and your mental health at that time when you were a rookie compared to the Achilles? Like, do you think you were prepared more so in a way for a fight that came unexpectedly? That's a great question. The Achilles was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. The best thing that ever happened to me because I'm a goer. Like, I want to I wanna move. I want to go. I don't get tired. I can right. go all day. And that literally forced me to sit down. Mm. 
like, I don't know if you guys know Achilles protocol, but the first 14 days, you can't sweat. You're in a cast with the stitches, and you can't sweat so the stitches don't get inflamed. What do you mean you can't sweat? Like, you can't sweat, so you can't move. Like, you're literally bed I sweat doing nothing. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. And my dad's cheap. Like, he doesn't pay for AC. So oh. I'm, in the I'm in the bed on the first floor in Cali because I got surgery in L.A. I couldn't go to Vegas. And I live, like, I have to walk upstairs in my, in my house. So I'm sitting in the living room on, like, an air mattress for 14 days with my leg up. And just hoping to God that I don't get infected because it's hot. It's super hot. And I'm, I mean, I've never done that in my life. You didn't move? I mean, I like wheeled around to go to the bathroom. Word. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like maybe sat outside for a little bit, tried to read a book. And I was like, oh, <laughs> basketball better work out because <laughs> this isn't great. Right. And I'm like, this is terrible. And I just finally had to come to grips with what was happening. And I had to, like, force myself to find something outside of basketball because I'm like, this is, this is it. And then, and then from there, um, I mean, you know the story. Like, I came back and everything was, everything was Gucci, but the Achilles reset my mindset for reality mm. and my perspective on gratitude, my ability to be present. Mm. Um, I think the awareness wasn't where it needed to be. Um, I got to rebuild myself mentally, spiritually, physically. And it, today, like, I still believe it's, it, was a gift, it was a gift from God. Like, it was a gift from God that I tore my Achilles. And I don't think you would have been able to come back from that one mm -hmm. the way you did if you weren't in that first comeback. Because right. I think you talked about it, where you weren't in self-pity, mm -hmm. right? And so that kind of set you up for this next one and gave you the strength and the right perspective to um, see that this is actually happening for me and not to me, which is like the big shift. It's a perspective shift. That's beautiful. There's a, there's a book that me, people like me and Donnie read when we go to meetings, and in it it says, you know, we will know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And it's like people would be like, there's no way somebody that would be sitting with their foot up on the air mattress would be able to say at that time, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. Ain't nobody saying that. But it's like when you go through it and you look back, it's like the things that you never expected, those things, those rough adversity times that you thought like you wish you could avoid as a human being, like you want to avoid that discomfort. But when that discomfort happens, your perspective changes, your life changes, and you look back and you're grateful for it. But as human beings, we're not wired to see it that way. But it's a beautiful, it's beautiful to sit here and see and hear somebody that has all these accolades and has performed all this because that's what people look to. But to hear you use your voice in this way and to share these things and put these things out there, this is what people need to, to hear. That's why we're in this room. Like, there's no other reason for us to be here in this room than to change the conversations that people have. So you're a real one. Yeah, you are. And I would say I would like to ask you, what is your – how do you sustain this today? Like, what's your – morning routine what's your pregame routine what do you do to keep your mind right and and your heart protected also wow that's a that's a great question I'm not gonna lie I don't know about you guys but there are moments where I have to like wait a second like don't go back you know don't go back like where, where are you every day <laughs> it's a check-in you know um meditation has been huge for me I get up I like to be outside I like to hear the birds chirp. 
Mm. I meditate for 10, 15 minutes. I write down 10 things I'm grateful for. And I try, <laughs> some days it's harder than others, but I try to make it um, more diverse. You know what I mean? Can't just be grateful for the same thing every day. Um, and then I also write down, I work with a, a coach, and I write down interferences, mm. things that get in the way of me being present for the day or potential interferences. And so, for example, I mean, a lot of times it is performance-based, but there's things in life, you know. So I think, um, you know, for example, say we're playing a game, we're playing against Dallas or something. So I know I'm going to be guarding this girl, and I know that she's going to try to get me in foul trouble. So what's a possible interference? I'm in foul trouble on the bench. How am I going to uh, prepare my mind for that? Or uh, possible interference, I don't know, turn the ball over a couple times to start the game. Or possible interference, I get in an argument with my mom in the morning. How is that going to change the direction of my day? Just little things like that. And um, that's been really big for me, being present and being in the moment. Um, and it's changed the quality of my days. And that's like a lifelong thing that I would never, I would never give that up. So beautiful. Interferences or distractions, kind of the same thing. And I always say it's our reaction to our distractions. So when you get ahead of it and be proactive and shine the light of awareness on what could possibly, and it's not like you're manifesting it, you're intentionally calling in what could get in the way so that you can have a plan mm -hmm. if it does. No doubt. Beautiful preparation. My, my sponsor been dro be dropping gems on me. And he says, like, in line with this, he says, you choose your own level of distraction. Mm. And I'm just like, it's just been marinating in my mind. I'm just like, wow, like, I really, it's kind of like, in the beginning, like you said, like a victim mentality. Like, it's always somebody else, the blame game. But it's like, no, you choose, mm. like, the impact that those kind of things get to have on you as a person. And it's like, that's, that's powerful because you don't know when these things pop up. But if you deal with them in the right way, things are going to continue to go in your favor. We need these moments where things aren't going our way. Or like you said, we got to slow down or we have to wait. Like we need those things as people, even though we don't want them. Well, and your practices are so beautiful. I mean, I always say what we practice grows stronger. And so a lot of us get really good at being distracted. How could we not in a world that's addicted and afflicted <laughs> to distraction? I mean, the phone alone, yes. that's still today is my biggest distraction. Mm -hmm. And living out by the ocean now, and I will connect with nature and get out there and then come back and grab my phone, and I feel the disconnect. Like, I can feel it in my body now. Mm. So I'm a lot more aware of it. It's still happening, but it's, it's the, the visceral feeling of it that allows me to actually, it's the awareness, which allows me to stop and redirect my focus onto what matters and not uh, going down one of those rabbit holes with the phone. The phone is like, oh it's my like crack. gosh. Mm. It's, oof. Oh, I hate the phone. I wouldn't have social media. I wouldn't have any of it, but for real, I'm trying to put my future kids through college. You know what I'm saying? Right. I <laughs> I'm going to tell the truth on y'all. I was late today. Uh, I forgot my phone at home, but it's really for that. Like I have like, I don't even get alerts through my phone. Mm -hmm. I don't know how these Atlanta telemarketers keep getting my number. They need to stop, but they, <laughs> that's the only thing that comes through and I just press end on it. But I've set myself up in a way to where it's like, because we have that itch, and it's just like, mm -mm, and you like reach for it. And it's like, even if it's not buzzing, like you are in reach, like, oh, something's happening. It's like that phone is dangerous. You're more disciplined than, than most with that phone. I mean, I know from a social media standpoint, I'm sure if you really made a little bit of an effort, you probably could have a lot more followers. And I know that doesn't, doesn't really matter to you. I'm, um, yeah. I start trying to run that up. I'm playing a game that I can never win, you know? Yeah. Just doesn't align with your values. Right.
I will add to the daily practice. Don't touch my phone for the first hour of the day. Yes. And don't touch it for the last. It's hard at the end of the night because a lot of time you're trying to catch up on like texts or yep. or whatever. DMs. No I'm kidding. Um and so and so that's hard. I try to I try to make sure I'm at least fifteen, ten to fifteen minutes at the end of the day. But the first hour in the morning, like you said, it's like you touch it and you feel like you've just been corrupted. I don't know what it is, but I love your practices. I mean, I, that my life changed when mm -hmm. I stopped grabbing my phone. I had a, right. a coach take me through this visualization because what I what I used to do was wake up and the second I woke up, check text, yeah. check social media, check email, right away into um, reaction mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. ultimately reacting to other people and distraction. And I had this teacher or my coach take me through this visualization and she said, okay, I'm gonna take you through, uh, you're in a movie theater, I want you to visualize there's three screens. First screen is you watching yourself grab your phone and go to social media when you wake up. The second, the second screen is you choosing to meditate and do your daily reflections. And the third screen is a blank screen. It's just white. And she's like, I'm going to make this swishing sound. Every time I make the swishing sound, just have the screen change. So I close my eyes, and she starts going, shoo, shoo, shoo. And I'm like, okay, this is weird for like two minutes. And she's like, all right, check with you in a few days and let me know how that goes. For the next day I woke up in the morning and there was space. There was like awareness to choose. Mm. And I chose to meditate. Mm. Four days in a row, so solid. Fifth day, had the space, choose my phone. Total shit show that day. Felt it. And then from that day on, um, and it varies, but I will do intentional things before I grab that phone every single day and it's changed my life forever. Mm. It's wild. Amen. What would you say to the person that's, driving up to the seventh floor of their parking deck, dangling their feet over the edge, somebody that may have their foot in the cast on the air mattress right now, somebody that's, you know, mm -hmm. in a victim mindset. Would you have anything to say to them? Because they're in their spot. They may know, like, what's holding them back or what they have to do. But what would you say to get them started? There's so much more. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to life. It's, it's so hard to see it when you're in it. I heard, I heard that quote. It was like, it's hard to see the picture when you're in it. Mm. Um, but there's so much more to life. Don't, don't let this life take you. I don't, I don't even know if I'm even saying this right, but um, I, just keep putting one foot forward in front of the other. Like, keep, mm. like, just keep going. And I do believe that whether you believe in God, whether you believe in energy, whatever. I, I do believe that if your intentions are pure and you continue to push yourself and grow as a human, things will go your way. I, so I just, I just pray that people, like, just don't give up. Don't, don't let it take you. I don't even know if that's no, that answers the question. No, that's real. I was actually thinking about this earlier today because, like, I was thinking, I was like, yes, you're Achilles in here. I'm like, oh, man, she probably had to learn how to walk again. Mm -hmm. I, I literally have written here one foot in front of the other. That was like a few hours ago. Mm -hmm. And it's like somebody like me, I'm a one-day-at-a-time guy. That's like my mantra. That's how I move. And it's, I can't get too far ahead into the future. I can't, you know, and I can't stay too stuck in what's gone on before. I got to keep moving. I got to keep praying. I got to keep talking to people. I got to keep writing in my journal. I got to keep going to therapy and talking about these things, like, because I can't think my way into a better life. I have to act my way into that life and the thinking will change in the process. So 
putting that one foot in front of the other. It's like it's so cliche, but it's like no, bro. Like that simplicity is what is what it takes to create and maintain that life that you've always wanted. It doesn't take a whole lot. It's really simple. Well, wait, I want to add something too. Um, in my darkest moments, still, I write out everything how my how I'm feeling, and I don't hold back. I put the f bombs in there. I everything. I don't spell anything right. I write it all in there, right. pages and pages, and I read it, and then I rip it up. And I don't know what it is. My my performance coach therapist taught taught me that, and he said something about the brain that when we see our words down and we basically give us back the power and we rip it up, like our brain is able to kind of transition into the next phase. And that's that's helped me tremendously. So if you are having one of those days, write it out, cry it out, read it, rip it up. That's powerful. Like somebody need to hear, like, stop holding, stop holding it back. Like what that you holding that back is holding back your healing. It's holding back your growth and that path, that next step to going to where you want to be, right? Yeah, write it out, share it, because if you don't, it's gonna turn on you and eat you up from the inside out. Mm. And that's the power of it. And even at your bottom, I think my bottom was look different than your bottom, but also you had mentioned that no one knew. So there was this quiet crisis going on inside of you. And you say, we're only as sick as our secrets. So we're, we're keeping it all in, right? And I think we think that we're the only, I know I thought I was the only one going through this, poor me, right? I'm not, I didn't want to, there was a lot of shame also and, and guilt in the life that um, I had been living. And so I didn't want to talk about it. So I went into sh- like sheer isolation. And that was, um, it was tough when you're, when you're stuck inside your own head and you don't have anybody to talk to. But I'm telling you, you're not alone. And that's, I know people say that all the time, but it is true. I thought I was alone, but there's a lot of people, really a lot of people that have gone through the exact same thing I did and they found a way out. So you're not alone. Do you have any like affirmations or mantras or um, incantations or things that, and I don't know if I don't want to get, if you might want to keep them to yourself or if you have anything no, that you use. You just said <laughs> we got to talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, incantations. That's an amazing I don't even know what that I don't means. Even, Please I'm never define heard, it. I'm never <laughs> another word for like an affirmation. Statements oh. that you're saying to yourself if you look in the mirror and you might say things or I am statements. Um, I do. I would say um, generally speaking, I've learned you got to be your biggest fan. Not in an arrogant sense, but you got to self-talk. Literally, self-talk. Um, because, like you said, we have to hear ourselves, like show ourselves love. And the most important relationship is yourself. I was even working out today, and I was talking to myself during my workout because I didn't think I was going to get through it. Um, and I did, and I was like, good job. Like, I'm proud of you. Like, good job. And I know it sounds dumb, but I'm telling you, it's actually super loving and I don't even that's, know. No, that's pivotal because it's real. You know, I could catch nine pass. I could catch nine passes out of ten. My mind is gonna go straight to the one that yeah. I didn't if I don't talk to myself in that way and treat myself. You know, what I'm saying talk to myself like a king. You know, absolutely. It's acknowledging, and I don't think we we're not good at acknowledging others, or are definitely not good at acknowledging mm-hmm. ourselves and celebrating those wins. But yeah, and I I think when we say something out loud, it's ten times more powerful than if we just think it. And if we right. say something negative out loud, it's another seven times more powerful. So. Saying negative things is 17 times more powerful, but it's the power of our words. And I think talking to ourselves and creating that positive self-talk and language is everything. 
I think especially being a female, being raised, um, and my parents were wonderful, but in general, you can't be cocky and be a girl and play sports. That's not like a thing. You know what I mean? Mm. And people come at, come across as cocky, but they're really confident a lot of times. They're just, nah, I think I'm the best. And, you know, I don't know if you guys saw that movie, uh, King Richard. Yeah. Uh, with Serena and Venus. Um, but I just loved how he talked to his daughters. He said, you're the best in the world. Right. You're the best in the world. And she heard it and she believed it. And she was like, dad, I'm the best in the world. And I've learned that that's who you got to talk to. Like you got to talk about it like that. And so as a female athlete, that confidence um, needs to be seen. You know, a lot of, we don't have a ton of female leaders. Mm. And so, you know, growing up, I think I had two older sisters that were very confident and that instilled a lot of confidence in me. And so when I talk, I make sure that I let, you know, young girls know, I'm like, no, nah, you got it like that. You're nice. Right. How powerful of an analogy, because how many parents or some, someone said something to us at a young age that was not true and negative and people are still believing that voice. I always ask, like if some people come up with stories, I'm like, whose voice is that? That's not your voice. Your voice wouldn't say that to yourself. Your voice, you're made from love. But somebody said something and then we believed it and then that became our, our own story. It's wild. I feel like we, we pass down comfortable limits to our kids or to people when it's like, when we, we got too comfortable to, to go after something and we didn't want to get uncomfortable to do it, we, we don't want other, we want other people to do what we do. We don't want them to kind of branch out from us. Like, you can't do more than I did. Like, I, I didn't see it was possible. So, and you really can't blame them because they don't have that experience to see more, there's more to life. There's more to what I'm currently sitting in. So, it's a, yeah, we got to speak into young people. You're talking about there's not a lot of women leaders. We got one right here. I don't know what you're talking about. So, we're going to affirm you right here when we're on the show. That's just what we do. You know what I'm saying? And we got one more question for you. Throughout your journey, I'm sure there are so many people that helped you along the way. If you could give a comeback story shout out to one person or a few, who would that one person or those few people be? I have so many. Oh, my goodness. I mean, first and foremost, my mom. My mom is just a dog. Mm -hmm. My mom just, I remember so many times in life, it, she was just, we'll figure it out. We got it. Let's do it. You, you got it. We'll figure it out. My mom, my mom's the type of woman, we wanted hardwood floors in our house, and she cut them herself. Oh. Put them in herself. That's what type, that's what type of Savage. mom my mom is. Um, so anyways, I would say first and foremost, my mom. Um, and then just my family. My family, um, just unbelievable support. Like you say, you don't, people say you got it out the mud, but there's so many people that help you along your way. Um, you know, AAU coaches, my high school coach is like an angel. I try to go back and visit her as much as I can. Uh, my college coaches, they were a big part of my life. Um, and I, I just have so many friends. I, I can't even pick like to name. I, I just, like you said, um, and still to this day, you know, like to be successful, you don't do it on your own. You have a support system. Right. It's beautiful. Takes I want to just acknowledge you for showing up and how you show up, your authenticity, your character. I love your perspective. I mean, you are speaking our language. So much stuff that you said. I mean, we're, we're in these same practices, and I know there's so many people out there that 
uh, will benefit from your story and what you shared today. So thank you for showing up big. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Appreciate you being here. I have one question. Oh. Um, does working with Darren, like, does you have to pay you extra annually or monthly just because he's <laughs> Darren? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we got to get it. A- <laughs> well, we, 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 our, relation, <laughs> our relationship started. Our relationship started as. All right, that's a wrap. We're <laughs> done here. We're done. Our relationship started as a uh, coach, client. And we, I, we just, we talked about it a year ago and I'm like, dude, you're not paying me anymore. We're on a ride doing something else. And uh, no, I was just messing. Yeah. I was just messing. Not he's alive. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> nah, yeah, yeah. Nah, Donnie still be coaching me though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Donnie still be coaching me. Like he drops gems on me. He's somebody that I lean on and man, through, through anything really. Mm. So Donnie, man, why you here, man? I'm giving you your flowers, bro. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to wait. So I'm giving it to all y'all. That's, <laughs> Thanks, that's just the love. And I got yeah. my heart. So appreciate, best, appreciate you guys. For the resties, we out. <laughs> all right. <laughs>